All right. Well, good morning. As Billy mentioned, my name's Chad. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. And I also do want to wish the moms today a happy Mother's Day. And in light of Mother's Day, I really want to take this time first to recommend a book called Mom Enough, The Fearless Mother's Heart and Hope. And I really love this subtitle because to be a mom, you need to be fearless and hopeful. You need to be fearless and hopeful. And I have so much respect for moms. And yet I also know being a mom, because you're constantly just giving and pouring out every day, that it can be discouraging to be a mom at times. Obviously, it's a great joy, but there are times it's discouraging. So I want to offer this book to the moms. Uh, This short book by eight women explores the daily trials and worries of motherhood. In the trenches, they have learned and continue to learn how to treasure God and depend on His all-sufficient grace. The paradox of this book is the secret power of godly mothering, which is, this book is really good. So we have this book available today for the moms after the service at the resource table. So I really want to encourage kids or dads with really small kids that you would get this Mother's Day book, this Mother's Day gift for your fearless mom. So there's that gift out there at the resource table. All right, well, with that, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. The title of this sermon is Kingdom Math. Kingdom Math. We have a familiar story here that most everyone has heard, whether you are a Christian or not. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. A familiar story, but the heart of the message, in light of the title of my message this morning, when it comes to kingdom math, the math doesn't add up. Last Sunday, Sean ended the section of parables on judgment in Matthew's chapter 13 and 14, specifically how mercy triumphs over judgment. And then he touched briefly with King Herod beheading John the Baptist. And now we're going to pick up the story right there. So we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21 of Matthew chapter 14. And I will be reading and preaching from the NIV this morning. So Matthew 14, we'll pick it up in verse 13, which says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men beside women and children. Would you join me in prayer? Father God in heaven, although this is a very familiar passage for most of us, I just ask God that for those that are super familiar with it, they would not check out. Because there is so much rich truth for us to learn today. Maybe even new truth for us to learn and to respond and be encouraged with this morning. God, I just, in a sense, just like this passage says, I just offer up myself these few loaves, a few fishes in recognition, God, that I, I personally don't have a lot to offer, God. I'm weak, I'm tired, I don't teach very often, and I just say, would you please multiply this message? Would you please use it for the good of your people, for the good of your sons and daughters? Would you use it to encourage them, maybe even challenge them, and use it for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this story, this vignette, Jesus is flipping the script, so to speak. He's turning the tables on the disciples. Jesus is not only opening their eyes to this great need around them, he is causing them to see it in a different way. He's causing their faith to be stretched in a way that causes them to, causes them to trust him and be dependent upon him alone, that he is more than enough, who provides in our lack, and the one who satisfies by pulling them into being part of the solution, his solution. Now the problem was a big problem. We are told in verse 13, Jesus got into the boat, he went to the other side of the lake with the disciples, and a lot of people in the villages saw him heading over there. And they started following Jesus. And I'm sure some were even running. They were running, I'm sure, around the lake. And they got there before he arrived, or maybe just right when he did arrive. So this was a huge gathering of people. We are told in this passage there were 5,000 people plus women and children. So maybe there were 10, 15, 20,000 people there including women and children. We're told in verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. But first it's important to take note of in verse 13. Just prior to Jesus landing on the other side of the lake, verse 13 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat private, privately 
to a solitary place. When he heard what had happened, what did he hear happened? He heard that Herod had John beheaded in prison. We need to remember that Jesus and John, John the Baptist that is, were close not only in ministry, but also more importantly as family, being that John was a cousin of Jesus. So hearing that John, his cousin, was beheaded and the heaviness of that, I mean, think about that. Just knowing someone, your own relative being actually beheaded, that is heavy. Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. Obviously, Jesus is withdrawing to a quiet place because he is not only tired from previous ministry of teaching the people, but I'm sure Jesus is exhausted emotionally due to the death of his cousin John. And for us this morning, including myself, if you've ever lost a loved one, someone close to you, you know how emotionally exhausting that is and how It takes so much out of you. And yet Jesus, we need to recognize, He was both God and man. He was the God-man, God with us. So we know that He experienced probably being emotionally drained and exhausted. So Jesus had need of solitude and rest. But when He saw the crowd, Matthew writes that He was moved with compassion And he healed their sick. So two things we can learn from this. First and foremost, we see that Jesus was moved with compassion. And the Greek word for compassion actually means he had strong feelings. Strong feelings of compassion. We see in other stories throughout the Gospels the compassion of Jesus and how he was moved with compassion To heal the sick, touch the broken and downtrodden, feed the hungry, and love the lost, weary, and helpless. As it says earlier in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So we see throughout the Gospels the love and the compassion of Jesus, the heart of God for the world. Secondly, we see that although Jesus had need of solitude and rest, His compassion and love for the needs of the people took precedence over his own needs. Isn't this the case for many of us as Christians in our day-to-day lives that the needs around us at times take precedence over our own needs? Or at least this should be the case. Maybe this isn't necessarily applied to you, but this should really be the case for us as Christians, that the needs around us at times should take precedence over our own needs. And I know the moms here this morning can attest to this truth, that raising kids 
often takes precedence over their own needs. And that's the nature and love of a mom. This is always a tension for many of us. We feel the need to get away and seek the Lord in quietness or just pull away for some downtime, yet there are needs all around us. Have you ever felt that tension? I know that there's many of you that could testify. I testify to that tension at times, that tension of just needing to pull away, and yet there is a need. There's this daily tension of meeting the needs of others versus pulling away for some downtime. Again, moms get this, especially moms with young children, or you moms who raised young children. But the question arises, how do I know when to get involved with the needs I see all around me and when to seek the Lord in solitude? How do I know when it's time to plunge in and get involved versus time to retreat for some downtime or be quiet before the Lord? I believe the answer lies in this passage before us. As with Jesus, compassion within you and anointing upon you are good indicators that you need to get involved in the situation around you. Again, Compassion within you and anointing upon you are good indicators that you need to get involved in the situation around you. For example, you're tired, you're weary, you've had a long day, you're totally exhausted, and yet there are needs around you or a specific need that has come to your attention and you're feeling this tension to meet that need. Versus retreating and getting some time of solitude. What do you do? What do you do? Well, if the Holy Spirit is stirring compassion within you, just strong Holy Spirit feelings of compassion within you, and God's anointing, His quickening, His grace, His empowering is upon you, then most likely God is calling you to meet that need before you, which often requires us at that moment to die to ourselves. Say, okay, God, here I am. I mean, honestly, I really want some rest and solitude at this moment. That's what I was even planning. And now you bring this need before me, and yet I know you're calling me. You've given me compassion. You've given me anointing. Now you're calling me to this, so God, I just surrender. And I just ask you, give me grace to meet this need. Obviously, it's important for us that we get time alone to be with the Lord and refresh ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus didn't meet every single need. And we see that often, often he withdrew to be alone with the Father. That's a needed thing, and that's a good thing for all of us to do. We need to get away with the Lord. We need to be refreshed. So, yes, in the midst of those needs, we do need to get away and be refreshed. Yet then we see in verse 15, as we move along in this passage, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. 
send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So we read it's now becoming nighttime and there are several thousand people gathered. And it says in our text, it's a remote, desolate place, a desolate area. So remember, remember the people weren't intending to spend the whole day and the whole night there. They were just chasing Jesus in the boat, trying to track him down. And they end up tracking him down. And Jesus has been teaching them. And as a result, they've been there all day long. Now there's a big problem. And the disciples say, look, this is a remote area. There's no place to eat. And we have several thousand people. Jesus, send the people away. The disciples suggesting to Jesus to send the people away was, logically speaking, probably the right thing to do. With few towns nearby and towns generally too small to accommodate a few thousand people, feeding this large crowd by natural means was virtually impossible. Furthermore, most of the day's bread would have been consumed by evening. The bread that the people probably brought along with them, which they did in those days in that culture when they traveled, it would have been nearly impossible for roughly 10 to 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children to fend for themselves in the countryside. Yet the problem with what the disciples wanted to do by sending the people away is that Jesus came to reveal the love, mercy, compassion, and provision, and provision of God toward humanity. That our God is not only a God of love and mercy and compassion, God is our provider. God is the one who supplies and meets our needs, and God wanted to do that right there and then. I believe the disciples had a genuine concern about the people's hunger, but intended to solve the problem in a purely natural and logical way. Their expectations of what Jesus could do was too small. Providing food in a desolate, remote place was logically and practically impossible in their eyes. And in the same way as the disciples, our expectations of what what God can do often in our lives is too small. Our view of God is too small, which as a result causes our faith to be too small, which then causes us to try and solve our problems in a purely natural and logical ways, which usually gets us in trouble. When you take things, or when I take things, into your own hands and lean on your own ingenuity and resources, don't you find yourself more often than not super disappointed? Have you ever been in circumstances and situations that are beyond you? And so you take things into your own strength. You take things into your, with your own ingenuity, with your own resources, and then you find yourself disappointed. I have done that many times. Try to do things in my own strength, with my own resources, with my own ingenuity, and then I find myself creating big messes. 
Most of us don't expect God to do great and powerful things in meeting the needs around us or our own personal needs, which in turn causes us to see things in the natural and not the supernatural. And we, like the disciples, cave into basically saying, it's impossible. This circumstance is impossible. This situation is impossible. Being a mom right now is impossible. My husband is impossible. Even though the Bible says all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus is doing something different. The disciples had good intentions and genuine concerns, but what was once good enough isn't good enough anymore. What once made sense, and their suggestions made all the sense in the world, wasn't the higher calling of faith that God was calling them to or the right thing to do anymore. Living and loving by faith now, not by what made sense, is what Jesus is calling them and pulling them into. It's what Jesus is calling us and pulling us into. We are called as God's people to live by faith and not by sight. We are called as God's people to trust God and not lean on our own understanding. Jesus wants to teach the disciples that living in the natural and doing what makes sense, what's logical, is not the way the kingdom of God works. Jesus is revealing and drawing them into something deeper here as it pertains to the needs around them, as it pertains to faith. Jesus is calling us and the disciples in our text toward being more like him. And so he calls them higher by responding to their good intentions, their well-reasoned sort of logic, and doing what was normally expected. Send them away to get some food by telling them to provide provide food themselves. You provide for them. This is where Jesus flips the scripts. This is where Jesus turns the tables on the disciples and says in verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples had good intentions, sensible, logical, and practical, but Jesus is calling them deeper. Jesus is calling them higher. And now they respond with the same kind of well-meaning, well-meaning intentions and logic in verse 17 by saying to Jesus, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. The Gospel of John gives us some details that Matthew leaves out. We're told Philip says to Jesus in, Jesus in response, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a buy explanation mark. I mean, it's crazy. It's a classic response. Philip is just basically like, 
Jesus, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for just each of them to have just a bite. That's how Philip responded, not just logically, but passionately. He actually assessed the situation, and it obviously didn't add up logically. Then we are told Andrew got the five loaves and a fish from a kid. He went and took some kid's lunch, and he brought it to Jesus. Here's what we do have. In a sense, he actually possibly stole the kid's lunch. His McDonald's kid's meal, just like taken from his hands. I'm sure, I mean, I'm assuming here, but maybe the kid was obviously probably crying. I'm assuming. Maybe he gave it to him, but I mean, you know, if your kid's McDonald's little kid's meal is taken away, they cry. They cry. So they thought about it. They assessed it. They reasoned. They came up with as many resources as they could. And I think the point they came up with or came to was, Jesus, what you're asking us to do doesn't make sense. It made way more sense to ask you to just send the people away so they could find some food. You're asking us to supply, you asking us to supply food for them does not make any sense. Again, this is a very logical objection in light of what Jesus is calling them to do. He is calling them to do the impossible. But the disciples had been with their master long enough to expect what Jesus said to do. He had the power to perform through them. There are about ten to 20,000 people in this gather, I believe, expecting some kind of miracle. A miracle of some sort. That's why they went to the other side of the lake to meet Jesus. But for some reason, the disciples didn't expect a miracle. Even though the God of Exodus, who divided waters and provided manna from heaven, was at work in history again right before their very eyes. So let's just camp out here for a moment. Haven't we who have been following Jesus for any amount of time discovered that Jesus will ask us to do things that are beyond our own abilities? Beyond what can be accomplished? Beyond us? Bigger than us? Isn't that true? Can I hear a yes and amen from anyone that understands that? Example, Noah. Noah's a good example. Imagine being Noah And God says, Noah, build a boat. Noah replies, "Uh, there's no water. God says, build a boat. Noah replies, how big a boat? God says, a big boat. A big enough boat for giraffes, elephants, and animals of every kind. It's got to be a big boat. So Noah, Noah starts to build the boat. How long does it take him to build the boat? 120 years to build the boat. 120 years beyond man's ability, beyond what could be really realistically accomplished. How about Abraham? God says, I want you to leave your home and country and go to a place I will show you. Abraham says, where am I going? God says, I will tell you when you get there. What a, that's 
pretty all time. Like, just start walking, whatever direction, just go. And once you get there, I will tell you that's where you're supposed to be. That's all time. What about Moses? God says, I want you to go before Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses says, how will they know you sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent to you. Moses must have been thinking, what does that even mean? I am. Uh, Okay. And then the list goes on and on throughout the Bible. David, Elisha, Esther, Peter just goes on and on and on. A big part of how God works is calling us beyond ourselves into the needs of the world, into the needs just in front of us. This is part of the gig. This is how God always worked and how God is working today. God works through our weaknesses. God is glorified through our weaknesses. God's power is at work through our weaknesses. And the beauty of that is that's how we experience the power of God. That God brings us to that point, to that place of our weaknesses and our dependency. And when we humble ourselves before God and recognize, I am weak. I cannot do this in my own strength. The beauty of that is you will experience the power and the presence of God working in and through you. That is the most beautiful place for any of us as Christians to operate. God could have provided an ark. He could have easily just provided a boat. Jesus could have fed these people. He didn't need the disciples to feed the 5,000. He wanted the disciples to know they needed him. Dependency upon him. And to experience him and his sufficiency and his grace and his power to meet the needs around them. He is pulling them into a very tangible, intimate experience of God, which is that God always chooses to work through his people rather than independent of his people. This is just what God does. This is God's economy. This is the effect of his love. This is the effect of his power and his grace. And this is what's going on in our text this morning. And so Jesus tells them in verse 17, you feed the people. And what he is doing there, he's creating a space where they suddenly find themselves having to care for and serve the people that was so far beyond them and their resources that they were forced to radically depend on God. Have you ever been in a situation? Have you ever been in a circumstance? Have you ever been in a season in your life that God created And he put you there to care for, to serve people, or made a care for your kids that was so far beyond your resources that you were forced to radically depend on God. 
And usually God is going to beckon us into this care, into this service for others in a way that really challenges us in and of ourselves and causing, causes us as we are meant to be desperate for God. We are called as Christians, as sons and daughters of the living God, to be desperate for the living God. It's one thing to operate out of our strengths. Everyone wants to operate out of their strengths, right? We all want to do what we're best at and operate out of that. We naturally want to operate in our sweet spots and what we're good at. And God usually has another plan in mind and puts us in places and situations that we can't operate in our strengths, but our weaknesses, which causes us to be dependent on God in order that we might experience the grace and power of God for the glory of God. Part of the Christian life is learning to function, to operate from our weak places, from weaknesses. That's the true sweet spot. You want to operate in the sweet spots in life? The true sweet spots are operating in our places of weakness. Learning to come to Jesus in our weak places, in our lack, in our want where we don't seem to have the understanding or the resources or the ability or we don't even have the strength to do it. As the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. When we are operating in our weaknesses, then the power of Christ will rest on us. In moving along in our text, after Jesus says to the disciples, you give them something to eat, we read in verses 17 through 19, the disciples respond to Jesus, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Let's take notice of some significant vital truths for our lives in these two verses. First, in verse 18, Jesus says, bring them here to me. Jesus invites us to bring our lack and place it in his hands. They came to Jesus and said, Hey, this is what we got. We got a few loaves and a few fish. That's all we got. And Jesus says, hey, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Secondly, we we see in verse 19, Jesus takes the loaves and fish into his hands and he blesses them and he multiplies them. Jesus is teaching the disciples and us that our lack in the hands of Jesus can actually be more than enough in His work. God often begins with what we have. Jesus often takes what we bring and He multiplies it. This is kingdom math. The miracle of kingdom multiplication. Whatever you have, 
even the very little you have, when you put it into the hands of Jesus, you surrender it to Him, He will multiply it. Take notice in verse 19 that in between blessing and giving, there was breaking. There was breaking. You might say, I don't have much to offer to Jesus. I'm a broken person. I don't have much strength. I'm not wise or very smart. I don't have a lot of money or resources. My talents are limited. My gifts aren't great. But what I do have, I offer to you. I offer my few loaves, my few fish to you, believing you can multiply it and you can use it for your glory. This is not only okay, this is good. And this brings glory to God. We need to believe that in the Lord's hand, a little goes a long way. If. And the key word being if. If you let Him bless you and break you. A significant kingdom truth is this. Before the Lord can use a person greatly, He must allow him to be hurt and broken deeply. It's a heavy truth. Before the Lord can use a person greatly, He must allow him to be hurt and broken deeply. There's no other, there is no other way in the kingdom of God. Pride must go. Self-sufficiency must die to make way for the tenderness, compassion, and power of God to be birthed in our lives that come only through the breaking process, which is needful and painful. Painful and needful. And this is the place, the place of dependency and weakness that we are supposed to learn through brokenness as Christians who are called to live life on mission. Most importantly, when it comes to living life on mission, we're not called to do it in and of ourselves. We're actually called to live in a desperate place of need, in a place of total dependency upon God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is Christian living. You want to enjoy and experience and be used in a radical way? The Christian life is total dependency dependency upon God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Look what Paul said about mission, about serving in 2 Corinthians 3.5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God. Our adequacy, our competency comes from God. Notice when Jesus took the lack from their hands, He multiplied it and He made it abound. What did He do next? He then put it back in their hands. He put it back in the disciples' hands and they distributed it to the people. Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish and they really didn't do anything at all, really. They didn't do anything. 
but bring the five loaves and two fish. They just brought to Jesus what they had, what wasn't much at all. It was really nothing in comparison to the large crowd. They just brought their lack to him and received from him, and then they distributed it. That's the Christian life. That's Christian mission. Do we find ourselves not experiencing the power and provision of God because we're not dependent enough on God? I would suggest that. If you are not experiencing the power and provision of God in and through your life, then you're probably not that dependent upon God or dependent enough on God. This text should cause us to take stock of ourselves and ask the question, if I find myself always able to operate and live out of my strengths, then maybe I'm not really doing the stuff that God may be trying to open my eyes to and engage in. Maybe for some of us, we just want to live out of our strengths, comfort, and self-preservation. But I think when we are willing to step out and we're willing to be pulled in like the disciples, we begin to live out of this place of desperation, dependency on God like Philip declared. It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. We could never do this apart from you, God. And God would say, yes, that's the whole point. That is the whole point. The power of God will never be discovered or experienced by us living in our own strength and in our own resources. That's just not where we're going to experience the power and provision of God. It's not where the power and provision of God is going to be discovered. We experience and discover the power and provision of God in places of weakness and brokenness. And I know there's some of us this morning that can testify to that and say yes and amen. I know that's where I experience the provision and power of God. And there's the others of us that need to come to that place of dependency through weakness and brokenness. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, that the Apostle Paul discovered this when he was complaining about some difficulties in his life, some problems that he actually had. And he asked Jesus three times to change the situation, which says, starting in verse 9, But he said to me, Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong in the Lord." Paul had a lot of strengths. Paul was well-trained, well-educated. He was savvy. Paul had a lot of strengths that he could lean on. But he learned that following Jesus and living life on Christian mission often meant more than our strengths. It meant living life in our places of weakness and being willing in faith to bring our lap and place it in the hands of Jesus and let him multiply it. 
Sean Piper said, God is more likely to use your weaknesses for his glory than your strengths. That is a truth. God is more likely to use your weaknesses for his glory than your strengths. Look what happened in verse 20 when the disciples took their lack in weakness, their brokenness, and they put it in the hands of Jesus. It says they ate and they were satisfied. Not only were they satisfied, there was more than enough. More than enough. There was actually even leftovers. Jesus not only satisfies, Jesus is more than enough. He is more than enough. And for some of us today, the question is, will Jesus provide for you? That's the question some of you are even asking yourselves or been asking yourselves. Will Jesus provide for me? Maybe it's a financial thing or you know God's calling you to take a step of faith and that would really require you trusting God with your finances. But I also really believe it may be just for some of you believing, I don't have the strength. I don't know if I can go on any longer. I just don't have the strength. I just don't have the emotional capacity anymore to go on in this calling or even in this calling as a mom. Are you struggling to believe it? Because when you do, the math doesn't add up. You're in good company. We saw in this story the disciples struggled to believe even when they had witnessed astounding miracles by Jesus. But when it came to feeding 5,000 people, the math actually added up to impossible. Jesus really means for us to believe this, that he is the God of the impossible. Do you believe this? That he is the God of the impossible. The implications of this are huge. If Jesus has this kind of power, your worries are over. Completely over. As it says in 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Did you catch that? I was blown away on this promise. All sufficiency, all things, all times. I was blown away when this just popped out to me even this morning. All sufficiency, all things at all times so that you may abound in every good work. This is a radical, true promise. And then we read in verse 20, And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Again, this surely has more meaning than mere mathematics. They picked up 12 baskets full. How many disciples were there? Easy math question. 12. 12. Surely it's no mere coincidence that there are, there's 12 baskets. Jesus calls his disciples the 12 throughout the Gospels. And I believe Jesus means to say to the disciples and to us this morning, when you serve me, and you give, and you give, and you give until you think you can give no more, I will take care of you. I will be enough for you. If you pour out your life to give bread to the world, I will be your all-satisfying bread. And the more you satisfy others, the more I will be your satisfaction. 
And the more you give life to others, the more I will be life to you. Here's something what the disciples and the crowd were meant to learn that day. Our life, our lack, our efforts poured out in service to Jesus and others will always provide in abundance. In closing, verse 21 says, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men beside women and children. The disciples saw the the size of the need and the littleness of the human resources available. Jesus saw the need and the greatness of God's resources available. Often God calls us to do tasks for him that are technically, logically, and practically impossible, barring a miracle. But we must remember when Jesus performed this wonder, he was giving Philip, the disciples, the boy, the crowd, and us a crucial lesson in kingdom math. Namely, as it says in Philippians 4.19, that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we just thank you for the truth of this passage and the reminder that you are more than enough, that Jesus, you satisfy. I ask God that you would take these truths and that God, you would encourage my brothers and sisters, that whatever lack they have, that God, if they just humble themselves before you in dependency, in surrender, and bring that before you, that you will multiply it for your glory and for their good. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe this morning some of you realize you are lacking in a certain area. Some area where you really really need God's provision. You need God's power. I can't encourage you enough to come up and receive prayer. And the prayer team will be on my right and on my left. Maybe you need to be more dependent upon God and know what it means to boast and live out life in your weaknesses Come up to the carpets this morning and surrender your strength, your pride, and your self-sufficiency. Maybe you're broken this morning and you need to bring your brokenness to the communion table by receiving the bread and the cup in recognition of Jesus' broken body and spilled blood for you. I can't encourage you enough this morning to respond by bringing your lack placing it in the hands of Jesus today and allow him to multiply what you give him through his power and through his provision.